Good morning. Scripture this morning is taken from five uh, selections in Proverbs. The first one being Proverbs uh, chapter 22, verse 4. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. From Proverbs 3, verses 33 and 34. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. From Proverbs 14, verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Proverbs 15, verse 33. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 28, verse 14, Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. Would you pray with me? Father, Give us humility. Teach us the fear of the Lord. Help us to know how much we need you and to turn to you in our need. And I ask you to bless the words of my mouth. Filter out what is anything that is unhelpful and let only what is good and true be received and remembered. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are at the last stop in our series in Proverbs. This has been a joy for me. Uh, It's been different preaching in this um, uh, unusual book of the Bible. And this week I was was wondering what I should conclude with. Um, I asked uh, some of the men in the Wednesday morning Bible study what they thought. And one of them, who will remain nameless, said, how about the one that says, Better to live on the corner of the roof than to share the house with a nagging wife. (laughs) And I really thought, how fun would it be to look at some of the more colorful, humorous proverbs, like, like, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Or, um, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Um... But I'm going to spare you from those I thought and prayed and realized there's really one thing that I want all of you to take away from this whole series, from from this whole uh, time in Proverbs. It's something that we talked about in the very first week and has come up again and again. And I felt that it's so vital to being a Christian that it really deserves its own message. And so let me tell you a quick story. My mom told me this story yesterday and gave me permission to share it with you. When she was about 15, her parents bought a small dairy farm in Cornwall, which is down in Addison County. And my grandfather had an old Oliver tractor that he would use for the farm work. Uh, One fall, probably the first fall they were there, after the hay was baled, my grandfather hooked up 
a trailer to the tractor, and the, the trailer was an old manure spreader that had had the spreading mechanism stripped out of it. So it's this big trailer. And um, he gathered some of the kids to come help him collect the hay bales. And my mom, having just gotten her learner's permit, thought, I should be allowed to drive the tractor. I've seen my dad do it. I know how to do this. So she said, Dad, can I drive the tractor? And he said, okay. So she climbs up on the seat, and uh, my grandfather and several of his kids sat down on the, the back of the trailer with their legs hanging off the end. And my mom uh, somehow got the tractor in gear and engaged it, and it started putt-putt-putting along. Now, there was a long kind of a downhill before a little swale, before an uphill to get to the hay meadow. And as she headed down the hill, she thought, oh, I wonder where the, the brakes are on the tractor. So there was a big, um, there's a pedal on her left, and she pushed it all the way to the floor, and nothing happened. The tractor didn't slow down, but she thought, well, that's odd. I guess I'll just uh, keep this press down. Maybe it'll slow me down eventually. Um, but little by little, the tractor picked up speed and was rolling faster and faster down the hill. And the trailer was bouncing up and down, and my grandfather was shouting, The clutch! The clutch! Let out the clutch! And my mom was saying, What? What? What's a clutch? Where is it? And she had her foot on the clutch. It rolled faster and faster and finally hit the swale at the bottom of the hill and then started rolling up the other side and then she let out the clutch and it came to a grinding stop. Now that story could have ended badly, right? Because my mom thought, I got this. I know how to do this. I understand. I'm good. And she didn't ask for help. I want to talk to you today about humility. Humility is the opposite of thinking, I got this. Right? Humility is, no, is, is being able to say to God, I need help. I need help. Asking for help doesn't come naturally to us. It's, it's comfortable in some ways to feel competent and on top of things and in control. Like, I got this. I'm okay. Strong, capable, self-sufficient. Right? That's what successful people look like. But the truth is we are desperate for God's help in many ways. And the more we know that, the more we grow in humility, the more we can grow in our faith. And so I want to talk about humility this morning from the book of Proverbs. And um, we'll look at three things about it. What it is, why we need it so badly, and how we grow in humility. So what is humility? Proverbs 22.4 says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Humility is the fear of the Lord. If you have a Bible that's other than the NIV translation, it may say humility and the fear of the Lord. Um, it can be translated both ways. But either, either way, the humility and the fear of the Lord are two terms for something very similar. 
right? Do you remember from the first sermon I preached in Proverbs when we talked about the fear of the Lord? It's not being afraid of God. It means an appropriate reverence and respect and awe for our holy God. And with that, it means admitting that God is God and you are not, right? Which means admitting that you need help, that you need God's grace and mercy and instruction and correction and forgiveness and guidance, His help, right? That's the fear of the Lord. That's humility. <clears throat> it's being, you know, it's not, it's not groveling before God. It's not beating up yourself or thinking you're a nobody. It's simply admitting the reality of your desperate need for God. Humility. Now, why do we need humility so badly? Why do we need it? Well, our natural setting is not humility. Our natural inclination is pride. In fact, the main way that sin reprograms our hearts is to make us proud, to make us think we don't need God. What was, what was the temptation Eve faced in the garden? If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. Right? She could, she could be wiser. She could be like God. She could, be, um, she could have it all figured out. And we do the same thing today. And, and that's why sin is spiritually deadly because it puts us in this fantasy world where we, are, we think we're in control. We think we have it figured out. We think we don't need God's help in the ways that really matter. We have this expression, proud as a peacock, right? And sometimes when we think of the word when we think like, oh, that's a proud person, what we picture is this like, this guy like strutting around, like showing off his, his talents, um, gloating, someone who's full of himself, cocky, a show off, you know, just, just like waving his tail feathers. The problem is very few people are actually like that. And so we think, well, I'm not proud. I'm not like that. I'm humble. I'm modest. And pride, the pride is much more common than we would think, than we would like to think. It lives inside every single one of us in some form. Maybe it shows up for you uh, in the fact that on a day-to-day -day basis, it doesn't occur to you to ask for God's help to pray because life is going well and you, you know the drill, you know how to handle situations. So you feel like you're in, in control. Maybe it shows up for you in not thinking that you have everything in control, but thinking that you should have everything in control, right? Thinking that there's something terribly wrong if, if, you, if you aren't able to fix some problem or fix some person or be a perfect parent or a perfect student or athlete or whatever. That feeling of, oh, I should be better. That's pride. In my first year or two here as your pastor, um, preaching was inordinately difficult for me. Now, maybe you couldn't tell that. Maybe you could. Um, it wasn't so much the difficulty of the work itself, which is still hard. 
it was the pressure of feeling like I should already be good at this, right? I've heard a lot of good sermons, so I should be able to give one without realizing that I am a learner. I'm, I am just starting. I have a lot to grow in and, and understanding that I, I need help. Spending more effort you know, finally, after a couple of years, it got through my thick skull that I could actually focus more on asking God for help than trying to be a perfect preacher. So maybe it shows up for you that way, too. Pride is deadly, right? If I hadn't realized that, I'm not sure I would be a pastor today because it would have burned me out. But pride also poisons your relationships. It makes you um, quick to take offense, slow to forgive. It makes you feel judgment, judgmental and superior to people. Um, pride even poisons yourself. You know, the more, pride, the more proud you are, the more insecure you are and sensitive to criticism because you need that image of being in control to be held up. You need positive feedback from people or else your world crumbles away. But the most dangerous thing about pride is how it affects your relationship with God. With God. Now, it, the reality is, like, I am this tiny, finite creature, and, and God is this awesome, infinitely wise Creator who graciously reaches down to help. <laughs> that bird's going to need some help. <laughs> if that's what it was. <laughs> so, I think God's saying it's stronger than that. I would have broken the glass. <laughs> So like, here I am, this tiny creature. Here is God offering his help. And it's like, pride is like, ah, I'm good. I'll, God, I'll let you know if I need anything. I'm good. Right? Can we see how foolish that is? How absurd that is? If we could really see pride for what it was, none of us would be proud. Right? In fact, there is only one thing in all the universe that can separate you from God's redeeming love. No sin you have committed can separate you from God. Nothing done to you can separate you from God. No failure of yours can separate you from God. No power or you know, evil thing or authority can separate you from God. The only thing that can is your pride. That's the only thing in the whole universe. Because God does not help those who do not want his help. It's a chilling reality. He gives proud people exactly what they want, which is for him to leave them alone. Look at Proverbs 3.34. It says, He, God, mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. To those who are proud, who are living in this fantasy world that they don't need God's help, 
They're in control. God says, good luck. Let me know how that works out for you. Right? But humility, a.k.a. the fear of the Lord, saves us from this. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, <clears throat> turning a person from the snares of death. Not only does humility save us from spiritual death, but it's the path to glory. <clears throat> Proverbs 22, 4. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Proverbs 15, 33. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord. And humility comes before honor. That seems backwards, right? Honor and riches, the people who, who come to those things are those who strive and achieve and perform and have things under control and figured out, right? Those are the people on the covers of magazines and on talk shows. Those that, that, that have it already figured out. But when it comes to our relationship with God, the exact opposite is true. Riches and honor and life can only come to those who are honest about their spiritual poverty, who know they need it. I had this mental image when preparing this sermon that your life is like this huge container, this huge box, and you open the lid so that God can pour in His blessing, His life, His riches, His honor, His salvation, His grace. And the fact is, if that box is full of yourself, there's no room for, for God, what God wants to give you. But if it's empty, if you empty yourself and humble yourself and admit your need and your weakness and your frailty, then you have lots of space for God to pour in His abundant riches, right? You realize, I am weak, but He is strong. I am creature, but He is creator. I am foolish, but He is wise. I am dependent, but He is dependable. I am poor, He is rich. When you understand those things, you're in a perfect place for, for the one who can help you to help you, Jesus. So if there's one thing I want you to take away from this Proverbs series, it's choose humility. Choose humility. Right? But, but how do we actually grow? How do we actually become more humble? In some ways, it's, it's even hard to talk about because um, the minute you start examining how humble you are, you can feel proud about it. <laughs> it's a catch-22. But there are ways to grow in humility. How do we do it? Well, the first step for all of us needs to be, and not just once, but often, to admit that we are proud. I mean, that's the reality. And you say, wait a minute, I thought God can't help those who are proud, right? Only those who are too proud to admit it. Only those who don't think they are. If you can just scrape up enough humility to admit that you're proud, um, God will rush to help you. Just, just raise the white flag and God will invade you 
with his presence and help you to become more humble. In fact, that's kind of a prerequisite for being a Christian, is to, is to surrender to God. But we do that again and again. We surrender to God again and again and again. I want to share a word picture with you. It comes from a woman named Syncletica who lived in the 4th century A.D. Uh, she was from a wealthy family. Her father was a merchant and owned a lot of ships. And so she was around ships and trading. Uh, but eventually she left her wealthy life and she devoted her life to God in a monastic order. I think she founded an order. And we have a few of her teachings and spiritual sayings recorded today. One of them is this. Listen carefully. As nails are to a ship, so is humility to eternal life. As nails are to a ship, so is humility to eternal life. When you look at a giant wooden ship, right, it's impressive, it's majestic, it does great things. But what holds it all together? Thousands of tiny nails that you can't even see, right? That's what lets it do what it was meant to do. That's what keeps the water out. That's what holds it together. And in the same way, humility holds our lives together. And humility is not just a one-time decision. It's hundreds and thousands of little daily, moment-by-moment surrenders to God. It's it's saying, Lord, I don't understand. Help me. Lord, I sinned. Forgive me. Lord, I'm desperate. Rescue me. Lord, I'm confused. Guide me. Day by day, moment by moment. That's how we grow in humility. Surrendering to God again and again and again. What would that look like in your life? today or tomorrow. I have a few possible scenarios. Maybe, maybe it's a problem that you have that you need to just admit to God that you have, and to others that you have. You're afraid to admit it because you know the remedy will be hard or because you're ashamed. But if you don't surrender and admit that to God, you won't get better. Maybe it's just a daily, like, struggle you have with your work or with parenting, something you can't figure out. And you can simply say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me. Guide me. Maybe it's, uh, um, maybe you need to realize that you've been doing way too much and living without limits, and your body and your health is taking a toll, and you need to realize, I need to surrender to the limits God gave me as a human being and say, I'm doing too much. Lord, help me to rest. Even that is an act of humility, an act of surrender. Or maybe there's a sin in your life that you've been trying to conquer by sheer willpower, um, to change, and you realize after failure, after failure, after failure, that you're not changing. 
and you need to simply say, Lord, I am weak. I can't do this. I want to please you, but I don't have the strength to do it on my own. Please uh, help me. Maybe it's something I haven't even mentioned, but you know what it is. But in those daily surrenders to God, you can actually become more humble. You can nurture that part of you which is so vital to your life. I, I hope this has been helpful, and I hope that you will choose humility, not just once, but again and again and again. And I would add that Actually, I think I already said that, so I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> but I want to close with a story that I hope will tie this together. It's uh, somewhat of a tragic story, but it has a hopeful message. Um, two weeks ago tomorrow, a pastor of a church in Nashville named Thomas McKenzie was driving west on Interstate 40 to bring his daughter to college. And about a, less than an hour into their trip, their car collided with the back of a semi-truck, and both were killed. He was on day one of a well-earned sabbatical, um, and the shock waves from that tragedy went far and wide, even up to me in Vermont, because I had been kind of following this man and, and looking on his ministry from afar. He was a bold preacher and defender of unpopular truth. Uh, He preached the gospel with conviction and power. He was a beloved and respected pastor. He wrote books. He was interviewed by major news outlets. By any measure, he was successful. He had it together, you know. But all of the eulogies that were shared and the stories shared about him after his death said the key to his life, the key to his success was, was not his power, but his weakness was his humility. You see, the fact that he was this well-known public leader did not puff him up. He was the same person whether eating with his friends at Waffle House or preaching in the pulpit. He was the same humble guy. He never shied away from admitting his struggles and failures, even from the pulpit. And like all of us, he went through difficult and confusing times in his life, and he wasn't afraid to show it. Humility is what made him a good pastor and a true friend and a faithful husband and father. Now, one of his friends told this story about him. The friend had just parked at the Waffle House for their regular Wednesday morning breakfast with a group of guys, and he saw Thomas, who was also his pastor, sitting in his car just weeping like a baby. He walked over cautiously and tapped on the window, and Thomas was startled, but he rolled the window down just with eyes full of tears and looked up. And his friend said, I I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on, but I want you to know I love you, and I'm here for you. Right? Thomas thanked him and rolled up the window and just kept crying. And a few minutes later, drying his eyes, he walked into the restaurant and sat down for breakfast. And see, he wasn't afraid to be weak and to let other people see it. 
to be weak and needy. He wasn't afraid to live in such a way that people knew he needed Jesus. And that's how it can be with us. The last sermon Thomas McKenzie preached the day before he died was about humility. He concluded with these words, which seem like the right way for me to end my sermon this morning. We have the choice of arrogance or we have the choice of humility. I implore you to choose humility, to choose surrender, to choose giving up of your belief in your own competence, your belief that you've got it all together, belief that you've got it all figured out, that you understand, and if everyone else can't get on board, well, they're just fools. But instead, choose humility. Choose to say, I don't get it. I don't understand. And in that, Christ meets us. That's where God meets us, in those times of weakness, of surrender. If you're strong, you don't need Jesus. It's in the times of weakness. So be weak. Acknowledge it. Own it. Surrender. Let's pray. Lord, as the scripture says, you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. So we want your grace. We want to, to live conscious of our need for you, of our dependence, of our finiteness, of our weakness. That can be a scary thing for us, God, because it's hard. It's hard to, to show others our weakness lest we be vulnerable to them and exposed. It's hard to face the things that we would rather not face, that are our limitations and our failures. But Lord, it's when we press into those things that you meet us. And so I pray that you would give us courage, courage to face our weakness, our failures, our sins, and to do so with joy because you are there to lift us up, to meet us, so help us, God. I pray that every person in this church would grow in humility and that it would bear a beautiful crop of spiritual fruit in all of our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.